Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. see all of you. Um, Today we're blessed to be continuing in our series that we've entitled You're Invited. Um, Last week we began um, looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we saw that her invitation was an invitation to believe. Today we are going to continue by looking at Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, and we're going to see that his invitation is an invitation to obey. So church, at this time, I would just ask you, if you could, let's get out your Bible or your Bible app and turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. You can also get out your Bible study outline. It's found in your worship guide. You can follow along and take notes if you so desire. So um, we're looking at Joseph today, and um, I've been thinking about Joseph. I've I've been studying Joseph, but I've really been thinking about him as Well, I was thinking about this, and I'm going to tell you the reason why I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking, in general, we don't pay a whole lot of attention attention to Joseph during the Christmas season. Like, um, I I don't know, I don't know. Um, Last year, let me just explain this. Last year, some friends of mine, our family, they invited us to go Christmas caroling. I'm talking about proper Christmas caroling. Um, How many of you have been Christmas caroling? Let's see. Like, proper... Not been, you you've not been. You've been Christmas caroling. All right. All right. I believe it. I believe you. But um, Christmas caroling, man, it's, it's, not, it's not really my thing, man. Because, well, it's, 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 it's awkward. I mean, it is awkward, right? You get your friends and um, you go knock on some random people's doors. I mean, you don't send a text and say, hey, we're on our way. You knock on their door and they come and then they open the door and what do you do? You sing. You sing. And like some of these guys, like they'd been, they were eating, they were eating, or they had been watching television. I can't sing, so they'd open the door. I'd be like, Hi, I'm hiding and stuff like that. That's kind of what I did. My family enjoyed it. My children enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fellowship, but I'm not real big on Christmas caroling. But as we were singing, and as I'm thinking about it, um, I do not remember singing a single song about Joseph. I don't. Maybe, maybe there are some, but we didn't sing any. Like we sang to Mary. We sang a song about the wise men, a song about shepherds, a song, song, song about a star. Man, we even sang a song about the animals in the manger for crying out loud. But not one song was sung about Joseph. It's kind of odd, isn't it? He doesn't get one song. He doesn't. We don't pay as much attention to him at Christmas time. We don't. And in fact, in church tradition, he's kind of called, he has this nickname called Quiet Joseph. I was looking at this one book and they called him um, Joseph the Silent. It's kind of a cool name, but I don't know, Joseph the Silent. 
the silent. The reason why he's called Quiet Joseph is because, I don't know if you've realized this, he's never recorded saying a single word in the entire Bible. He doesn't utter one single word. He's just quiet. Now, a little side note, I was thinking about this. If you're a guy and you're quiet and someone comes up to you and complains about you being quiet, you can say it's biblical, right? It's biblical. Joseph, he's quiet. He is. We're going to look at him today, and we're going to see that even though he was quiet, even though there may not be a single word recorded in the Bible coming from his mouth, we're going to see that his actions, his prompt, his simple, his unspectacular, obedient actions speak louder than any words possibly could. So let's just walk through this story of Joseph, starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If this is your first time here at, at Silverdale, I was going to let you know that what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text, and we're going to kind of comment on the text. We're going to let the weight of the Word of God fall on us, and it has the power to transform and to just stir your affections for Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. Matthew 1, verse 18, the first thing that I want us to see is the scandal. The scandal realized. I'm just going to read verse 18. Well, I'm just going to read the first of verse 18. There's a lot going on. Here's what the Bible tells us. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. All right, I want to pause there because there's some things that we need to pull out in order to understand and appreciate what's going to happen a little bit later, all right? First thing I want you to do is to notice this, the third word. It's this word, birth. You can underline it, circle it. We're going to circle back to it in a little bit. It's an important word. It is. In the Greek, the word is genesis. Or in the Greek, it had kind of a, a hard K kind of sound, the genesis. But it's, the, it's, it's genesis. It means origin. It means lineage. And that's what it's saying here. In other words, this is the manner in which Jesus Christ was born in the flesh. The incarnation took place in this manner, okay? Now, remember that. We're going to get back to that. Second thing I want to say, once again, what I'm about to say, I think we know, many of us know, we probably all know this, but I want to say it just as way of reminder, Jesus' last name is not Christ. It's not. It's not his last name. Jesus is the Christ. That's what we're told here. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. He is the one that we have been waiting for ever since he was promised in Genesis 3.15. The whole 39 books of the Old Testament talked about him, pointed to him, exalted him, explained him. You get to Malachi, it ends 400 years of silence, and now this is him. This is him. This is the Christ. Third thing I want to say is this is not, please hear me, this is not when Jesus came into existence. Jesus is pre-existent. He's the second part of the Trinity. So this wasn't when he came into existence. existence. John says multiple places. I'm going to give you just a few real quick. John 8 says this. Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So he was before Abraham. 
You get to John 17, he says, he's talking to God the Father. You got God the Son talking to God the Father. He says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He was pre-existent, all right? So this is not the story about how Jesus came into existence. This is the story of the incarnation, how Jesus took on flesh. You understand, that's what's going on here, okay? Let's continue. We're going to continue. Get back in the verse. That was kind of the setup. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that's our guy, silent Joseph, before they came together, that is, before they had sexual union, she, that's Mary, interesting, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, you read this. You, I mean, you've probably heard this many times, many of you have. But if you read this even today, or, or if you're hearing it for the first time, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, that's a problem. I mean, that, that's, that's a problem. And like, it's, it's not like an ordinary problem. Like, man, I have problems sometimes. Like, I got problems when the milk runs out and I still got four Oreo cookies left to eat. That's an ordinary problem, right? We get those. But this is not an ordinary problem. This is a scandal. We're told Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, they had not had sexual union, but she's pregnant. Joseph finds out because he sees she's with child. Big problem. It's a scandal. I'm telling you right now, this is even a scandal today. Like, like in our culture, in our world, where anything goes, you see this going down, it will cause a scandal. Now, you can imagine 2,000 years ago in a culture that honored God's laws, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. It is. It's a scandal. Now, when you read that, when you read that passage, you may have several questions. One of the questions that may come to your mind is this, and it's a question I think many people have. Um, why is it that Joseph is called her husband, and he can divorce her, but yet it says they're not married. It says they're patrolled. It doesn't say they're married. It says they're patrolled. Like, that's a little strange. It, it is. It's a little strange. Like, whoa, 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 Jesus, Joseph, whoa, Joe, 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 Joseph. You're not married, man. How can you be getting a divorce? Well, what I want to talk about just briefly is this word patrolled, because it could be lost on some of us Today, the word translated here for patrol, patrol, patrolvol, is the Jewish custom called kiddushin. Kiddushin. And here's how it worked. I'm going to tell you how it worked. It's kind of strange, but this is how it went down, okay? First, you'd have the mother and, or the father of the two families, and they would engage the couple when they were young. So, so Joseph and Mary were most likely engaged when they were younger, younger. And then as they grew older, you came to the second part, and that is the betrothed, right? It's the kiddushin. That's what's happening here, right? And they would be betrothed for one year, and they are absolutely legally bound together. At this point, they're absolutely legally bound together. He is called the husband, and she is called the wife. At this time, in that one-year period. And during that one-year period, they could not live together and they could not sleep together. Once again, I think perhaps one of the dumbest traditions ever. Like, who came up with this? Really? Like, 
I think it was a dad. I think it was a dad. I think, I think the dad's like, hey, listen, you guys, you can get kind of betrothed, your husband and your wife, but you, you, just, you, just, you just stay apart for a year, and let's see how this goes down. And they would. I mean, for a year, they're separated, and the man, which had been Joseph, he had to get the house ready. He had to prepare for her and prove that he could indeed support her, and she would be getting prepared as well. So that's what's going on here. And that's this one-year period absolutely legal, absolutely binding. He is her husband. She is his wife. In order to separate within that year, you would have to get a divorce. That's what's going on here. And by the way, by the way, at this point in our story, Joseph has not been told that this baby is from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know. He doesn't. Like like you and I know because we read the text, Matthew just let us know. Mary knows because Gabriel told her, but Joseph don't know. This man, this man is not only quiet, he appears to be out of the loop. Right now, he is out of the loop. All right? So, I ask you, put yourself in his shoes. Breathe the air that he is breathing. The woman that you have asked to marry you and has agreed to marry you, she said yes to you. You've entered into this contractual agreement. The only thing left is for you to bring her to your home. You've, now, you've lived up to your end. You got the home. You've been working hard. You've loved her. You've provided for her. And then right before, right before you bring her into the house, you notice that she is pregnant, right? What would you do? How would you feel? All of a sudden, for all he knew, he knew he had not touched her. For all he knew, she was involved with another man. What would you do in that situation? How would you act in that situation? I thought on it. I don't know how I would have reacted. I do know this. I have responded less graciously for things that have happened of far less importance than this. But not Joseph. Not Joseph. We're told two things about this man, Joseph. We're told that Joseph was a just man. It says it right there. It says, what's it? Being a just man. Or he's a righteous man. I take it to mean two things. I take it to mean, one, that he's an Old Testament saint, that he has been saved by grace. That's what I believe. But I also think it means that he is a man who seeks to honor God, right? To follow God's commandments, to live in a way that's pleasing to the living God. So we got that he's a just man. But is there a second thing about Joseph? It says Joseph was a, a kind man. He's a kind man. Look, it says he's, you can see he's kind because he's unwilling to put her to shame. He's a kind man. So you, you can see maybe Joseph in this situation, and there's this tension going on, right? right? Because he is a just man, a righteous man, he wants to obey God. He wants to, um, to follow the commandments of God. And to marry her would be to dishonor the commandments of God because she's clearly been unfaithful. But on the other hand, he's a kind man. He's a gracious man. He's a loving man. He doesn't want to harm her. So I imagine he's wrestling with all of this stuff, with, with, with this, the justice and the zealousness for God. But then he's also kind. I would say this. 
I would say I think we can learn a lot from Joseph here by being both just and kind, right? We can. Because I know this, I know, I know I've run into um, Christians who are just and they're zealous for God, right? They're zealous for God, but they're not kind. And I know a lot of kind people who don't love Jesus, but we see Joseph here, he's got a passion for God. He's zealous for God, right? He loves God. But he's kind in the way he pursues God. He's kind to those around him and loving. I'd say, be a Joseph. Seek to be like Joseph. So he decides to divorce her quietly, both honoring God and being kind. That's the scandal. Scandal, it's not a small thing, church. It is not a small thing. We move on to verse 20, and something interesting is about to take place. We're going to see the spirit move. The spirit move. So, um, I don't know. I guess Joseph prayed through all of this. I'm certain he did. And he's thought through it, and he's figured it out. And then, all of a sudden, we're going to see God the Spirit show up. And when God the Spirit shows up, it changes everything. And I think, isn't it just like God the Spirit to show up at an unexpected time and do an unexpected thing? I love God the Spirit. I've seen him do this many times in my life and around me. And I'm always like, man, you see God the Spirit moving. You see God the Spirit saving and doing all these things. You just want to say, sit back, watch, enjoy, and, and see the grace wave, man. God, the Spirit's good. So he comes in, changes everything. Look at verse 20. But as he, that's Joseph, considered these things. And that's this wrestling. That's this, that's this tension going home. Behold, it's a strong word. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's God the Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in that text, there is a lot going on. We could, we could really literally spend all day on it, but I, there's three specific things that I want us to pull out of here and to kind of latch on at this time, this Christmas season. First thing I want us to see is Joseph's identification. I want to see the, the, the identification. Notice. Notice, look, look how the angel addresses David, right? He does not simply call him I mean, Joseph. He does not simply call him Joseph. He calls him Joseph, son of David. It's interesting. It's interesting. Did you know that this is the only time in the gospel where there's this reference, son of David, that's not applied to Jesus? It's always applied to Jesus, except for this one time. So what does it mean? What does this designation mean? What does this identification have to do with anything? It means the Bible, Matthew, as he's teaching us, is telling us that this carpenter, this humble carpenter has royal blood 
coursing through his vein. It means that he is from the house of David. That's important. By the way, you read the whole Old Testament, you get to the minor prophets, you go up to Malachi, and we see all of this over and over and over again. It is important because we're told that a king was going to come. He's going to be of the line of Judah and from the line of David, and he will be the Messiah, and he will reign forevermore. So, even though Jesus is not Joseph's biological son, Jesus would be by adoption his legal son. God the Father conceived him by God the Spirit, but his royal right to the Davidic line is by Joseph. That's what we're told there. That's why that little house of David, son of David, Joseph, son of David, is in there to let us know who he is and what his lineage is. Let's keep going. The next thing we're going to see is the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work. It says this, he, that's Jesus, is from the Holy Spirit. That's a little mysterious. I get it, I get it, I get it. Have you ever, maybe you have, really thought about the role of God, the Spirit, in the conception of Jesus? The incarnation, I mean, it's mysterious. It is. And I can't explain it or describe the supernatural biological process. But I do want to point something out, something that I think we miss, that a lot of people miss, all right? We see here, that the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, made the pre-existent second person in the Trinity, Jesus, a human being, right? Now, I want you to go back to that first word I talked about. Remember, I said um, born. That word, it says Genesis in the Greek, all right? So, we are told here that God the Spirit, Genesis, or caused to come into being Jesus the second person in the Trinity into the flesh. Now, he's not creating him. He's not creating him, but he is making him, weaving him, creating him into flesh. Like one of us, like me, like you, right? We're getting the bones. We're getting the brains. We're getting the blood. We're getting the lungs. We're getting the heart. We're getting the hands. God the Spirit did that. That's what we're told here. I don't know how he did it, but I'm saying that's what he's doing. The, second, the, the third person in the Trinity, creating, weaving, making, the second person in the Trinity, pre-existent Jesus, into flesh, the incarnation. When we read this, when we think about it, we ought to over and over again be in awe of the incarnation and the work of God the Spirit. You see, I read this and I think, and I get this passion for this, but I think in our day, there is a gross misunderstanding of the work of God the Spirit. There is. I run into people. I run into people and we'll have these conversations, right? They will say, well, this is what they think about the Holy Spirit. They'll say something like this. They'll say, <laughs> they'll say something like, when I go to church, right, and we're singing songs, and they're upbeat songs, and they're songs that I like, oh, I feel God the Spirit moving. But if we sing slow songs and hymnals are in a hymnal book, I do not feel God the Spirit moving. That's what I've heard people say that to me. And I'm always like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? 
And how did you come about possessing such a low view of God the Spirit? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? God the Spirit's primary work is not to make you feel good. That is not why he exists. That is not his primary reason to exist. Like, I guarantee you right now, the church is assembled. God the Spirit is moving. And I guarantee you this, God the Spirit at this present time is not fretting about making you feel happy or making you feel good. He's not. He wants to see Christ glorified. I believe there's two primary works, big picture works of God the Spirit. And we see it in this text One creation specifically, creating God, the second person, Jesus, into flesh, the incarnation. And then I say recreation. What I mean by that is saving, right? Regenerating. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's what he does. Man, I remember when God saved me. God the Spirit indwelled me, changed my heart, changed my mind, changed my direction, changed my eternity. He stirs in me. He exalts Christ. He seeks to see the fame of Christ in all things and in all people. That's what he does. Please do not boil him down to feeling happy or singing the song that you're most predisposed to liking. Anyway, I just, it's powerful powerful third thing i want you to see real quick in this passage is um well this is the two names the two names it's the two names because you read it and you're like he says look verse 21 you should call him jesus and then verse 23 he says um (laughs) you should call his name emmanuel like (laughs) what's that about i like you know which is it man which is it? is it? Is it Jesus? Is it Emmanuel? Is one a nickname? I don't know. I mean, what, what's the deal here? Like, you go up to Jesus, maybe, like, Jesus, what's your name? And maybe he's like, man, my name is Jesus. Middle name is Christ. My friends call me Emmanuel, but you can call me Lord. I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? What do you do with this? Well, here's what I would say. The first name, Jesus, we talked about this last week, means Yahweh saves. That's what he does. And Jesus, Yahweh, saves. The second, Emmanuel, means God with us. It is who he was. So you get the combination. We worked some of this out last week. You get the combination of both those words together. You get a picture of the glory of God. Yahweh saves. Jesus is God with us. The incarnation. One of the most fundamental doctrines in the Bible, in Christianity, Jesus is 100% man, and he's 100% God. He's human, born of Mary, but he's conceived by God the Spirit, so he's fully God. So we have those two names. We have those two names. And that leads us to verse 24. And we see the surrogate obeys. The surrogate obeys. So far, church, we've seen the scandal and the scandal of his conception. We've seen the Spirit, God the Spirit's role in this whole incarnation. And finally, we're going to see the surrogate. And by surrogate, I mean Joseph, the man. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
but knew her not. They did not have relations until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. A few things we need to talk about here. Um, actually, there's one thing I want to address that I think is important um, to make sure we think correctly. And, 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 and you hear me maybe, if you're here often, you hear me this, say this quite often. It's really important. We desire to think correctly. Um, so I just want to talk about this. Um, it says he woke up. It said it was a dream. So what we see is this revelation came to Joseph while he was sleeping. And so that's what I want to talk about. Um, because I run into people from time to time who will have a dream and then they think they need to interpret it for some reason. Um, first, this is not the only time that God reveals something in a dream. Um, there's at least five other times that I could find that there's been a revelatory dream by God for the purpose of, of, of communicating, all right? However, and this is what I want to get to, however, this does not mean it is God's primary way of communicating, and it does not mean that we need to go around trying to interpret our dreams. And I say that because I run into some lovely people who, I don't know, maybe dinner, they ate too many tacos, right? And they can't sleep good at night, they have some crazy dreams, they wake up, they call me, and they say, man, I had some crazy dreams. I think God's trying to tell me something. I'm going to tell you my dream, and you can tell me, like, no, 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 no. Don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I want to, um, we can could, could stay this a long time. I'm not. I just want to say one thing because I think this is helpful. I don't know. Maybe I'll say more, but here we go. <laughs> um, revelatory dreams in the Bible, when they happen, the person that they happen to, the receiver of the dream, always knows that it was from God. Therefore, if you wake up in the morning wondering if that dream was from God, it wasn't. It wasn't. It just wasn't. There's many other reasons we could go into, but that's the simplest. If he talks, you know. All right? I have several times, um, haven't, it hasn't happened to me, <laughs> but... I have on several times, but one time specifically, know a guy who was blessed by God to have a revelatory dream. I've told some of you about it, um, but it was when I was in East Africa. I shared the gospel with a young Muslim man. He was hostile towards me, did not like me or anything I said. I still told him and um, left quickly. <laughs> um, I left. I came back a week later. He's not there. And... Um, I start talking to him, his roommates, and his roommate said this, the night after you shared the gospel with him, Jesus, this is what they said, Jesus came to him and confirmed and said that he is exactly who I had told him that he was. Now that young man woke up, and he did not say, I wonder if I had a revelatory dream. He did not need anyone to help interpret that dream. He was afraid. I, the true story, I saw that guy. It took him, honestly, about two years before the Lord saved him. A lot of stuff went on. True story, man. I remember one time, I'm walking. I see this guy um, maybe 50 yards away from me. You know what he does when he sees me? He takes off running. He's a fool. I'm out of here. Not because of me. Not because of me. Because of a holy God. Hey, listen, I don't care how fast you are. You're not faster than God. God saved him. It's a tremendous story. But my point is, man, my point is this. 
the way that God has ordained for you and I to understand him, to get insight about him, is through the word of God. we got to read it, ingest it, study it, know it. That's what we are to do. I am perpetually surprised about how many of us are going around doing all sorts of things, trying to interpret and understand God other than reading the Bible. It doesn't work that way. I run into, like, man, run into guys who are like, man, so I was in, oh, man, I, I was in my car. Um, I was wondering about this issue. This certain song came on when I was in this certain location, so therefore it means this. What? Anyway. We'll get back to the text. Point is, do not use this text to think that God is going to give you a dream and then you will have to interpret it. It doesn't work that way, and that's not the primary way he communicates anyway. But let's keep going. We're going to see two things about our man Joseph here. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, two things. First thing, Jesus, Joseph obeys God's command. That's what we see here. Joseph obeys God's command, all right? Joseph is a great example for you and I. What happens? God speaks, and immediately, what does the text say he does? He obeys. He did it. Immediately. No ifs, no ands, no buts. He wakes up, he does it. And it's really interesting because if you remember last week, even Mary had a question. Even Mary said, what What would she say? How can this be? How can this be? But not Joseph. Not Joseph. Immediate obedience. We see that indicates the depths of his godliness. And I would say this. It would be inconceivable for God to entrust his son to anyone but a faithful man who loved God. And I'd go on to say this. Specifically, all of us specifically Men, Joseph is a great model of a godly husband and a godly father. Like we, like, we don't know a lot about Joseph. We don't. The Bible doesn't say a lot about him. But every time that we see him, we see him loving God and serving his family. I want to give you just three quick examples. Luke chapter 2. You see Joseph leading his family spiritually by taking infant Jesus to the temple for a dedication. Matthew 2, you find him again. He's providing protection for his family by taking Mary and Jesus to Egypt to protect them from Herod. You get back to Luke chapter 2, we see him leading his family spiritually again by taking them to the Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. Over and over again, you see a man who loves God, loves his wife, loves his son, and serves them. I guarantee you this. There was never a debate in the house of Joseph as to whether they would be attending church. There was never a debate in the house of Joseph as if they should have a family devotion or if they should pray or if they should read the Bible. This is a man that loved God, and this is a man that loved his family. Men, I would say, seek to be like Joseph. He loved the Lord, loved his wife, and his family ferociously protected them, provided for them, led them. Let's be like Joseph. Second thing we see about Joseph here is Joseph enjoyed God's blessing. God blesses Joseph. Like, like Joseph, Joseph obeys, and then we see this immediate 
blessing. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but I want to say this real quick. Too often I also run into this. Believers who are seeking the blessings of God at the same time they are walking in disobedience and they know it. But we see here that blessings follow obedience. I've seen it in a million, a million, that's a high number, a lot of places and a lot of people and a lot of tribes, right? Anyway, we see Joseph is blessed here. He's blessed, why? He gets to be the adopted father of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And he gets to give Jesus his name. Now, I want to make sure we notice this because this is in the text. We don't want to miss this. It is glorious, all right? Why? Why are we told that Joseph married Mary and that Joseph named... Did I say that right? Yeah, Joseph named Jesus. Why are we told that here? Because what you're looking at there are the official adoption papers. That's what it is. Like, I know, I know when there's an adoption today, there's a process and all this stuff. Back in the day, if you're going to adopt a kid, specifically in this story like this... What do you do? You marry the mother, then you name the son. You name them. So we have in the text the very adoption papers so that we can see that Joseph is saying, before all, in the word of God, I am adopting him. He is legally mine, and he is inheriting the line of David. When we see that, when Joseph says, This is Jesus. I am naming him. He is bestowing upon him the status of a descendant of David. So we see it right there. Boom. The original reader would not have missed that. This is a descendant of David. It's all wrapped up there. Scandal. It's crazy. Crazy. God the Spirit moves. Joseph obeys. And then he's blessed. And we see Jesus named, and he becomes a descendant of David in that one act right there. So, that's Joseph's invitation to obey. Now, we need to write a song about Joseph. So, we'll do that. And next year, we'll go sing it, and nobody will sing it with us, but that's okay. It's okay. The story's not over. The incarnation story's not over, that is. Um, next week, we're going to look at the shepherds, and we're going to see that they had an invitation to worship. That's how we're continuing. Um, like I said last week, as we're going through the story of the incarnation, the birth of Christ, um, you notice that every participant was invited by God to be a part of what he was doing. And I would say this to, today, if you're here, you don't know Jesus you have not repented and believed, you've never cried out for him to save you, I would say you've been invited. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website.
You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.